0: In California, there are trees, the largest trees in the world. See the little dude standing there at the bottom? I don't know, probably a 15-year-old boy. That is the base of one of the California redwood trees, giant redwood trees. I've never seen these trees, but it said in my, in my reading that uh, they can grow to a height of up to 380 feet. How many stories would that be? They calculate stories about every 10 feet. It's what that 38 stories in a building. Approximately. Huge. The diameter of the trunk. Measured up to 26 feet. Pretty large. yeah. Huge trees. I've I've never seen these trees in person, but as I just look at pictures online. Read about these trees, you know, the question without even seeing them in person, I can imagine standing at the base of one of these trees. Mammoths, the question would, uh, would arise, how in the world do these things get so big, so tall? How? One would think that the root system of the giant redwoods would run to great depths, right? I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a tree guy. What would that be a horticulturist, Preston? Like a gardener? A gardener? I don't think you could garden trees like this. Oh, okay. Whatever the term is, I'm not one of them. Uh, but I would assume that a tree this massive would have some massive roots that run to the depths of this earth, right? Yeah, it's not. It's not how it works, though. The truth is of these redwoods that they do not grow to a great depth, maybe about 10 feet on average. The span of the roots, however, is what is impressive. The, the spread of the roots is what is impressive. For every foot, I read, that this tree grows, its roots grow three foot wider. Imagine that. These trees do not grow in solitude. They grow in groves. They need each other. In fact, because the region, uh, in that part of our country, California and a small part of Oregon, because that region receives over 100 inches of natural rainfall in a year, okay, on these trees, on this forest. The soil is virtually rinsed of its nutrients. Think about that. All that rain rinses the nutrients predominantly right out of the soil. So these trees, it's said, literally have to feed off of each other. They depend on one another in groves. Here's the point. The church, if it is to be great. Majestic, awe inspiring, divine when the world sees it. All those words that I think of when I see these trees. Then we all take a lesson from the redwood. OK. Well, the illustration fails at least one point, namely that. Individual believers strength must primarily come from the depth of its roots in the Lord. Right. The illustration is worthy of our consideration. Christians are not designed to be lone rangers. We're not designed to live independently. We're not designed to live in solitude. We we grow in groves, so to speak. We are to lean on one another in the midst of the storm storm. And the strife, you see the interconnectivity of the root system of all of these trees growing wide and connecting in with the other roots of the other trees is what gives them the strength and the ability to grow so massive and so tall and so majestic and yet be able to stand under the weather and the storms and the wind and even the fires that come. I looked at many pictures and I started to notice these black chars On many of these giant trees. Like what is that? I finally found an article that said. Many of these trees can endure the hottest fires. The hottest forest fires. Because of their mass. Because of their dependence on each other. While portions of it may be burned. It it spreads the burden among all of the grove. And they can even remain and stand. And hold up. Many of these trees have great scars and burns. Is that true of the church? Is that true of us in the church? Many of us have been burned and scarred among the body. But it is among the body that we we stand tall, that that we don't falter. We're talking through our purpose, and we're wrapping up the second of our three purposes the first of our purposes being our relationship our love for Christ that is our primary affection he is our primary treasure and our number one priority our third priority which is still yet to come is our relationship and our love for our our lost friends the world out there that's not where we are and so sandwiched right in between those two great Responsibilities and priorities, those two great loves, the love for our God and the love for those he died for, we find ourselves in the wrapping up our second purpose. It's our love for one another. It's it's our interdependency on one another. It's our it's our body of Christ. It's the family of God. Uh, We've examined part of our purpose primarily through the book. Of Proverbs. The second of our purposes, we've primarily looked at the book of Proverbs. This, the book of Proverbs, is our very practical priority. And we've got very practical ramifications if we don't focus on the body, if we don't focus on the church. What we know of Scripture is that God has given the lost world. Think about this. I think it's important to remind us of this in every message we talk about our second priority, the church. God has given the world the right To look at the church, to look within the church, to look at the body of Christ interacting, depending on one another, and say there is legitimate, true love there. There is a witness and a testimony to the God they say they, first and foremost, love and are in relationship with. They will know we are Christians by by our love. Our love for one another, our relating to one another, our depending, our caring for one another, our, our dealing with one another's messes. It, it it shows the world something about our first relationship. How important this secondary relationship sandwiched between our our love for our God and our love for this world is. It is a testimony of the love of Christ, what they see in the church reflects upon our God. What they see in the church reflects upon our God. So we've spoken very plain and simple regarding the challenges we face among men and women uh, who are in some sense here in the church, in the body. We're under construction still, right? I mean, we're still being worked on. In theology, we call this the already but not yet position. The already but not yet position. We have already been justified by our God. But we are in process of being sanctified. He is he is working out while we still drag around the old carcass of our dying flesh that has the habits and the paths ingrained in it of the old man. While our spirit has been justified, we, as Paul said, we drag around and we have to we have to beat, if you will, into submission, this old carcass of our flesh that we still deal with. And from time to time. That old man rises up and hurts, causes pain, leaves scars and burns on those around us. So instead of leaning on one another, we often if you think about it in terms of these trees, instead of being interdependent, when you look in the church, there is a there is a tendency sometimes for instead of holding one another up and undergirding one another. We're punching each other in the mouth. We're ribbing each other. We're undercutting one another. Uh, If we're going to examine the struggle for unity among not just diversity, but among, frankly, our depravity, our messes. If we're going to look at this, this issue of our need for unity among not just diversity, but among our depravity, our mess of our flesh. If we're going to look at it through the lens of Proverbs, I think we must spend uh, at least a week in the book of Proverbs Um, on a topic that gets by my count, the second most amount of press of any other topic in the book of Proverbs, namely that of our speech, our conduct in our speech. It's second by my count only to the topic of lust and our man in our last prayer breakfast. We did not leave that stone unturned. We dealt head on with that. I'd say lust gets the number one press in the book, but speech It's a second close. So I'll be honest with you. um, I, I like dealing with unique passages. I like drawing out things that I, I think maybe haven't been so obvious to the church, to us that we don't hear very often. So I, I frankly hesitated dealing with this, this massive amount of the Proverbs just because it seems like such an obvious, such an obviously important issue that it almost Need not be taught. But while it's obvious, it is it is uh, perhaps the most elusive of character traits. To be able to control one's speech, one's attitude and tongue to be able to to be able to control. uh, It is an obvious need, but but absolutely elusive. Right. It has been called the only tool that gets sharper with use. The only tool that gets sharper with use. That may be why it gets so much press, not just in Proverbs, but in all Scripture. Its popularity isn't unique to Proverbs. You know, the most popular passage on the tongue, it's probably James chapter three, I would say. In just a few verses, he compares the tongue to a destroying fire. A dangerous beast and a deadly disease. That's the potential of our tongue, according to James. He goes on in that chapter to make a point of the obvious contradiction between lips that could praise a holy God, as we have this morning in song, perhaps. And yet in the next breath, curse. A brother. He draws that. That obvious contradiction. Again, obvious, but so elusive. And then one of my favorite phrases in all the New Testament, he says, These things ought not be. Which is, again, so obvious. But so elusive. They ought not be. It makes sense that James, like Proverbs, is known for putting feet on our faith, right? That's the book that puts Feet on our faith. Proverbs is is a lot like that. Like James Proverbs deals with some of the most practical applications of our theology. Right. That's why we're in the book of Proverbs for our dealings among the body. Well, here's what I'd like you to do this morning. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to open to the book of Proverbs. In fact, if you are open to the book of Proverbs, I'd like you just to close your Bible this morning, which is odd. Uh, I've told you before that I don't put the passages of Scripture that I'm dealing with on the screen because I want you to bring your Bibles. I want you to see it in your Bible because you don't take the screen home. You take your Bible home. Okay? today, however, uh, I'm going to read to you several, several of these proverbs that deal with the tongue. As I said, it gets the second, I think, most amount of press in all of the book to any other topic. And so there are many of them. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but I'm going to read a good number of them to you. Uh, It would be it would be futile for you to try and follow along. In fact, I'm not even uh, I'm not even going to give you the verses. Okay, if you want to find these, you read back through the book of Proverbs yourself and they're going to pop out everywhere. I'm just going to give you starting from the beginning. I'm going to give you some that popped out in my mind. That caught my attention, that grabbed my heart, all relating to our speech, all relating to how we speak to one another, the things we say, the things we don't say, the things we maybe should not say. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine as I'm reading through these. How the church might benefit if they were true of the church. Or in some cases, if they were not true of the church. Because we're going to see both positive and negative statements. Things that the tongue can accomplish and things that the, the tongue does accomplish that should not accomplish. I want you to think about the pain that would be saved and the healing and encouragement that could come if these if these truths were embraced by the body of Christ. All right. So that's what I want you to be thinking of as I read through some of these. And I'll try and save you as much of my preacher commentary as I possibly can. But that is that is impossible. If you've been here before, you know, I had a I had a uh, seminary professor, a New Testament seminary professor, and he did something that I'll never forget. Uh, when it came to the book of Revelation, he taught us the book of Revelation by reading it to us. Now, that may be the last book that uh uh, needs uh, no interpretation, okay, in, on your list. It may be number one in, uh, in the need category for interpretation, for commentary in your mind. But he did something odd with it. He said, I'm just going to read it to you. And every day that we would come into class, no matter what other book we were dealing with in the New Testament, he, he would read us a passage of Revelation. And he'd say, shut your Bibles and just listen. If you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. Just absorb the beauty of the passage don't try and pick it apart, just enjoy enjoy the beauty of it. He was kinda he was a, he was an old codger. And uh, anytime you say codger, he's gotta be gotta be old, right? Uh I'm feeling older just using the word codger. He was a, if you could just picture this guy, he was he was Jimmy Stewart, right? He he was Jimmy Stewart. He he spoke just like Jimmy Stewart. And and you can you can imagine Jimmy Stewart reading Revelation to you, right? It'd be kind of odd. But just Unique, And I remember those days. So this morning, I, I'm not Jimmy Stewart, uh, so you're not going get, to get it that good. Just listen, though, to the Proverbs dealing with this topic. Absorb. Ask those questions. If they were true of you, what difference would they make in your family, in your marriage, men? If they were true of you, what difference they would make in the unity of the body among our diversity, but also among our depravity and our messes? So here we go. Watch over your heart. And all these are in the context of our speech. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows springs of life. You get the imagery here? For from it your heart flows springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech Far from you. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals, hides violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgression. Again, in the context of speech, those words are found. Hatred stirs up strife. Hatred of our in speech it just stirs up strife. But love, love in our speech, love that comes out, love that communicates out of our heart, that flows out, that springs out. is a fountain of life, and it covers all transgressions, almost like a warm blanket. On the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found. With the mouth of the foolish, however, ruin is at hand. When there are many words, I wish I would had this verse in high school and college. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we just talk too much, don't we? Lewis Sperry Schaefer once said, it's much better to keep silent and let everyone think you're a fool. Than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The lips of the righteous feed or nourish many. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable. The words of the wicked, they lie in wait. What a great picture. They lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. A fool's anger is known at once by his speech. It comes out. But a prudent man conceals dishonor in the context here of keeping our mouths closed. He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise Brings healing. You've all known someone like that, right? Someone whose tongue is like the thrusting of a sword occasionally. Maybe we've been like that. We all hopefully have known someone. I've known. I've known, honestly, two, maybe three men in my life that I'd never heard a false word out of their mouth. Against any other human, not just a false word, not a critical word, not a not a stabbing, cutting, or even bitter word. There should be more. Those men were so impressive to me, and so so etched in my heart and my mind that uh, I I had labored hard to name Grady after one of them, but his name was Jeb, and Kimberly really wasn't going for it. I, I, I tried as hard as I could. She wasn't going for Jeb. Truthful lips will be established forever. That's what, I, that's what I think of those men. I'll never forget those men. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Can you imagine yourself being a delight to God? Again, in the context of speech, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim folly. It just comes out. A wise man doesn't have to tell you about it. The foolish man pukes it all up, doesn't he? Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it. Glad see the power of our speech, the one who guards his mouth, preserves his life, the one who opens wide, his lips comes to ruin. A gentle answer is that needed often a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Let me say that again. The tongue of the wise makes shapes. It causes. Knowledge to be acceptable. The New Testament would say it's truth tempered by love appropriately. A soothing tongue is the tree of life. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. But the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things It just. It's just out there. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are like a scorching fire. A perverse man spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold, an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So even when you are reproving someone, the one listening, he sees your words. Your words communicate as fine gold and jewels to him, even though they're hard words. This is one of my favorites like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart sometimes when our when our brothers and sisters are in pain the best we can do is just sit and keep our mouths closed amen and not sing songs of false rejoicing for lack of wood The fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. We're not feeding the fire of gossip, slander, pain, harsh words. Warren Wearsby. Great commentator. He he made four points of these Proverbs. These Proverbs on our tongue and our speech. I want to give them to you. He said, number one, speech is an awesome gift from God, isn't it? And we don't really think about it very often. But our speech is a gift from God. Proverbs say that our words are like refreshing waters. Remember these? Did you hear some of this? Refreshing waters, fountains of life, flowing brooks, choice silver, fine gold jewels. Speech is an awesome gift from God. He went on to say the speech can be used to do great good by the righteous. According to Proverbs, our words can bring peace instead of strife. Our words can help restore those who have sinned. Even our words can instruct Those who have strayed, our words can even rescue the perishing, Proverbs says. Our words can even encourage the burdened. Our words can do great good. There is amazing potential for what we can say and the difference it can make. Number three, he said speech can also, however, be used to do great evil. Proverbs teaches that we hurt others by lying We hurt others by gossiping. We hurt others by even flattering speech when it's not authentic and genuine. We hurt others by speaking in anger. We hurt others by saying, Go Gators, or How about them Gators to your pastor after you know he got an ulcer watching the game and didn't sleep all night because he was so disappointed. Proverbs says, our hasty or impetuous speech can be deadly. When we talk too much, it's often bad. It says, even by talking instead of working, one proverb, we go, we go horribly wrong. Lastly, Weirdsby also said, and I think correctly, only God, only God can help us use the gift of speech for that great good. Is that right? That is. David prayed this psalm, Psalm 141, in regard to his speech. Set a watch, O Lord. Not a watch. Set a watch as a guard on post, a military guard. Set a guard, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. give you a scary thought. Jesus said this, Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the what? The mouth speaks. That's scary because it tells on us before brothers and sisters, before our wives, men, it tells on us of our depth of relationship to our God. Tells on us. It exposes what's What's really there? Jesus perhaps had Proverbs 4 in mind. Watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow springs of life. Put away deceitful mouth and put devious speech from you. So what's the answer? All right, what's the answer? All obvious, all good. We amen all those passages. We say they're absolutely correct. I need more of that. I need less of the bad, more of the good. What's the answer? It always goes back, doesn't it? Just as we said, it always goes back to our primary relationship with our God. You remember when we moved from our priority one in this series to now talking about our second priority? I said something. I gave us a warning or a caution. Here's what I said. I'll quote it. Nothing we talk from this point on. Nothing that we talk of from this point on from our relationship with God. Now, as we move to our relationship in the body and our relationship with the world, nothing from priority two on can be expected of you or authentically accomplished by you. By you alone, that is our success in relationship to each other is in direct proportion to the quality of our relationship with God. Okay, so don't go home and make yourself a list of all the proverbs that have to do with speech and think that you're going to buckle down and pull up your bootstraps and start and start doing it. The answer always is in all the rest of these sermons that as we've moved out of our first priority is go back to God. Say, God, change me from the inside out. Fix what's here so that when it comes out, it's evidence of righteousness, not of wickedness. All right. Is this important in the church? I'll give you a couple more Proverbs. And I'll be done. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Death and life, Solomon said, are in the power of the tongue. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, however. The mouth of the righteous ought be, church, a fountain of life. Let me add to that. Let me contemporize this whole thing a little bit. Uh, it, it just doesn't stop at your verbal speech. We ought to apply all these verses to our texting our emailing your Facebooking your twittering whatever you're doing out there your words whether verbalized or written bring death or life the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life or at least it ought be church let's pray